own store, didn't you? When you, were, when <laughs> yes. you were still studying. Oh, yeah. You, yeah. you did your research. All right, Ian. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that was one of my first um, companies that... Hello and welcome to episode 159 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Trusker. I'm no rockstar. But on this weekly podcast, I chat with the true rockstars, my fabulous guests and chums that I've met on my journey from techie to CMO, sharing their marketing street knowledge in a show that Dave Delaney described as a rocking roundup of all things marketing. Come say hello. We are Rockstar CMO on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'll include links to me, my guests, and all the things we talk about in the show notes on rockstarcmo.com. And we are proud members of the Marketing Podcast Network. It's Saturday, the 25th of March. Thank you for joining us. I hope you've had a good week and you are well and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. This week, Jeff Clark is back and continuing with our recent theme of TLAs, we chat about OKRs. I go backstage with the young entrepreneur, Yash Chavin, founder of Saral, an influencer marketing platform, and I wind down the week with Robert Rose in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. <laughs> but first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. On to our first segment, the Marketing Studio with Jeff Clark, our weekly dose of Marketing Street Knowledge from our resident Rockstar CMO strategy advisor. Hello, Ian. Come on back into the studio. We're, uh, I got to, got to wipe away the cobwebs, you know, that have, you know, <laughs> appeared after a few weeks but uh anyway come on in yeah yeah nobody's been in your studio no it's been so uh left it. locked it up put the guitars in the closet <laughs> and uh well while you're away we did keep ourselves amused i did have that's um, what i hear wonderful yeah. guests yeah 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 kathy and Teresa, they were great um and uh I had a lot of fun. So welcome back to Rockstar CMO FM as we do our usual awkwardness of you welcoming me and me welcoming <laughs> you. <laughs> and for the, for, the, for the Jeff Clark fans out there, how was your holiday? It was great. Uh, as I, yeah. we were discussing, I took a tour of the, uh, mm-hmm. of the Southland and uh, in the U.S. and uh, yeah. saw the warm weather, saw spring. We actually, we actually had the thought of, since we were sort of in the midst of spring in South Carolina, it's like yeah. if we made our way slowly back up the coast we could kind of stay in spring uh <laughs> but uh but there was a big snowstorm I up like here that. so we had to you know make sure we could get into the house yeah. <laughs> wow yeah yeah that'd be nice but that would take you a couple of months wouldn't it because when when's all the blossom out and say if you you were to go up and then you were we'd have season. we'd have to be here in may you know yeah, yeah, early yeah. to mid-may is when things would start to bloom here yeah 
Yeah, that's a that that's a nice six week trip. Yeah, <laughs> back. <laughs> I love that. All right. So um, while also while you're away, and we're going to focus on a one of the popular acronyms of marketing, or at least in operations in how we do our marketing. I'm going to talk about OKRs, which we touched on a couple of weeks ago and said, there's a rabbit hole we need to go down. So yes. we are going to go and do that now. And it's been good because you it's actually been acronym-tastic this year. This last <laughs> couple of weeks. <laughs> and also anybody that uh, subscribes to the newsletter, I made reference to that as yeah. well. We've just been talking about acronyms. Uh, and also in the newsletter, I threw in your article about ICP as well. So yeah. We, so we, all of the acronyms. And today we're going to talk about one of those, OKRs. Um, so uh, OKRs, um, objectives and key, key results. <laughs> so what say you, Jeff? What's well, I, you know, OKRs? it's, um, you know, the acronyms. And um, I just remember being in a lot of uh, marketing meetings where, you know, we're planning and we're, def- we're defining, well, what's the difference between a goal and an objective? Or I think we should be yeah. setting goals. I think we should be setting and and it's like it is you can get caught up in all the definitions mm. and the acronyms, et cetera. But I think that what what you want to do, and I think what the OKR methodology helps you do is is address three questions that you know haunt the you know the modern CMO, uh, which is one is how do you make marketing relevant? Um, you know, and sometimes you bring in a new CMO because it's like we got to. We've got to make sure marketing is contributing to the business. And so being relevant is extremely important. Um, uh, How do we make marketing accountable? So we not only want to say we're going to do things that contribute to the business, but we want to be able to say we're going to report back to the executive team about it. And then how do we make, you know, we set goals and objectives. How do we make sure they're measurable? Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, aligning, you know, setting goals that align with the business strategy, the annual goals, figuring yeah. out how you're going to, re- you know, what's the cadence yeah. for reporting? What are the metrics? I mean, these are all things that are part of, um, you know, the OKR process. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you try to stick to it, is is basically a collaborative process. So collaborating with your marketing, your leadership team, and also with yeah. your executive team Yeah, yeah. to define these things. That's- that, that, I mean, that was the important point you're making there. And we talk about it a lot on the show, don't we, that you have to align your marketing objectives with those of the business. And this is a great vehicle for having that discussion, isn't it, about, yep. I mean, it's not just the objective side, but it's the key results, isn't it, and how you, how you measure those key results. And that's what I like. To, I've, done, I've done OKRs a few times. And what I like about it is um, it's, it's very easy to come up with objectives much harder when you dis- when you want to define well what's your key result from that going to be what are the actions you need to take and make it really definitive is the is when when the rubber hits the road with those things isn't it? and you're thinking well is this really an objective yeah absolutely yeah, yeah, absolutely yeah. so so um I, I know this from our preparation because uh, i've talked about our preparation before that we actually do prepare people may not realize this <laughs> we do prepare and i know that you have five fundamentals of set OKRs, and I think you chose five because um, you know that I like to say it, five effing fundamentals. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like the alliteration just it rolls off the tongue. And uh, so, yes, yeah, so we have to set five fundamentals. and Of anything. <laughs> of anything. And if, if we have a sixth, then we... Uh. Uh, I, you know, but, so what's the your three first? tenets of whatever, the six, whatever. Yeah. So, what's your first? 
first one, which which I think, uh, I mean, you were alluding to uh, just a, a minute ago, which mm. is OKRs are by definition measurable. So, right. you know, we can debate the difference between a goal and objective or other you know, ways of, of setting, you know, our, mm. our vision of what we're trying to do. But the idea is you're trying to drive results. And so the results um, should be measurable. Uh, the measurable part is often the, the hardest part. Mm. Um, so, so as you're developing them, you know, you want to think about if, if my objective is to contribute to revenue. So what are the ways, you know, my sourcing influencing, okay, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm signing up for that, yeah. how do I how do I measure it? Uh, what's the you know what are the particular metrics and that we're going to um, you know report back to the executive team? If it's about raising brand awareness, you know, can mm-hmm. we conduct pulse surveys or something that tracks that movement over time? Yeah. Uh, you know, and I just I, we often think back to a couple discussions I know you've had with other guests mm-hmm. about contribution versus attribution and all, yeah. and so you know one of the key things. This this is where I think one of the key things is that the CMO is working with the executive team to define. So what is that contribution, and and how am I going to measure it? And do you agree with the the way I'm defining presenting goals? Yeah, yeah. One of the things um, one of the things I've seen with development of OKRs, and I don't it, I don't think it's mandatory. I think I just think it's good practice if, if the whole business is subscribed to OKRs. So then you've got. So where you're saying that, oh, we've got this um, objective of um, revenue, that is actually an objective, that's a company objective, right? And that sits above yes. it. And then, it, and then your objective is what, what are you going to do to contribute to that revenue? And it gets a lot more granular in terms of the marketing stuff, doesn't it? Um, and so you, you actually create these tangible um, objectives and results that you need to do as a marketer that contributes to that revenue. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm making sense. Yeah, good. Uh, but And on the flip side of this, just to test this, if you couldn't measure an objective, let's say uh, you don't have uh, the resources to con- con- pulse awareness surveys or whatever to measure, measure brand awareness, is there any point in having an objective that says raise brand awareness if, if you're not going to invest in how you measure it? That is an excellent question. <laughs> and I think that there's, um, you know, there's two potential answers to that one is that is that sometimes you can measure things that correlate to the increase in awareness so maybe i can't measure maybe i'm not doing um you know like annual or quarterly brand surveys where i can get really accurate sense of brand awareness but maybe i can use and i think we may have even brought this up in the past maybe i can index a few metrics Mm. Uh, that themselves are not awareness, but if I look at our engagement with uh, customers or engagement with prospects and I look at web activity in terms of new visitors and I look at um, uh, some PR metrics around, you know, a share of voice, et cetera. And, and, and sometimes I can, I can track those together and index them and say, yeah. Look, awareness is going up because I've I've looked at all these various metrics, which themselves in enough are not necessarily um, telling us all about brand awareness, but they're giving us aspects that we know relate to brand awareness. Yeah, yeah, I didn't. I, I think the other thing though is if if you don't if you have no me- no means of measuring it, uh, then um, yeah, then I would leave it off. Yeah, that, that <laughs> the was, OKR list. That was really my question. Yeah, because <laughs> it's easy to get down a, a sort of <laughs> a rabbit hole of brand awareness, but um, 
so so if if some if an objective isn't measurable then it's probably we need to look at how to measure it and if we can if we really can't find any way of doing it then it's not objective anymore so what's your second um fundamental the second fundamental is that OKRs must be within the context of the company's strategy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, strategy is typically a three to five year horizon and your goals, you know, are more typically communicated. I mean, marketing may try to set a longer term uh, strategy as well, but typically what you're communicating on is annual progress against something. So, but the, but that something's got to be in the context with the company strategy. So if the company is trying to grow by growing or re- revenue in new markets, mm-hmm. or if you're trying to grow share of wallet of existing customers, you're trying to become more profitable, or you're off to acquire. Mm-hmm. There's there's a limited set of of, um, uh, of types of strategies in which we need to be setting goals that are uh, relevant to that. Mm-hmm. And so you know. Likewise, marketing does not want to be setting OKRs that are in opposition to that. So if if going after new accounts is not part of the corporate strategy to grow, then why would we be going after new accounts? We shouldn't be doing the things or reporting on things mm. that would be talking about why wow, we just sourced a whole bunch of new revenue. I mean, which... I mean, that, that might sound like a bad example because it might be like, why wouldn't we want to be reporting on that? Yeah. But... But the thing is, you wouldn't have wanted to set yeah. an annual objective on that and measuring that uh, as in, in the context of how we're supporting the company strategy. Yeah, it's almost like encouraging that other members of the C-suite adopt the same methodology, right? So if you're talking to your CEO, what is his objectives and what are the key results from that? So then you can absolutely key into those, right? Is that, that's what you're saying, isn't it? If, if, yeah. his, if, it, if his key result is um, a greater revenue per customer rather than, um, you know, new new customer logos, then you want to make sure that you're keyed into that. Similarly, if the exit is an acquisition or an exit is um, has some balance sheet implications, for example, like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, yeah. you're going to have to do more with less this year because we're in 10 sales, yeah. so we need to, we need to, thin the company down a bit whatever it is uh, if you understand what those motives are then then you, your objectives are and 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 this becomes the challenge of being a marketing leader in a company that does not do a good job of setting its own <laughs> oh, yeah. strategy goals and objectives because then you're 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 working upstream yeah. and you're trying to force the company or you're trying to force yourself into yeah. a behavior that the company doesn't yeah. doesn't just, adopt itself yeah just um so we've been. I think we've both been there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, is just go do the marketing thing, or we need more of everything. Is ridiculous. I mean, uh, oh, I know. I'm, Absolutely. I'm in a situation where we've just uh, we've just acquired a company. They're um, they're early in their in their taking their product to market, so we've got to create for them a marketing function and all that kind of good stuff. And I'm not starting from how many pieces of content you need or any of that stuff. What are your revenue targets? What's your uh, average deal size? Um, how do we get there? You know, so how many leads? So you start from those high level objectives for sure. I agree. So yeah, that's our, yeah. that's our second one. So the first one was uh, OKRs need to be measurable. Second one is uh, need to be in the context of company strategy. What's your third? Well, the third really ties pretty closely to number two, which is that your annual marketing OKRs really need to align with the company goals. And so, and this is a subtle difference as opposed to being in the context of the strategy. Mm. It needs to 
aligned directly with the strategy. And so, you know, we mentioned, you know, some revenue growth and brand goals, mm. um, but there, there could be others. There could be, you know, improving customer satisfaction. Yeah. So yeah. can marketing commit to measurable engagement goals that support uh, and can be correlated to customer set? Uh, is enabling the sales team really important? So mm. how are we developing internal materials, sales tools, et cetera, that improve the process? Mm. Uh, is it customer experience? You know, we often talk about that being a, a responsibility of the CMO. Mm. So what are the, the uh, objectives around online or in-person ex- engagement that we can show improvement mm. and what we're doing to improve that? So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's that you want to be able to, you know, it, and, and I think in the past we kind of talked about the idea of like putting your marketing plan on a page mm-hmm. and you want to say, here's the corporate objectives, yeah. here's the marketing objectives. And as I go across the, the rows, yeah, it's, yeah. oh, I see the alignment. Yeah. I, I see the alignment, yeah, you know? Yeah. And the difference there between number two, which was about being in context of con- company strategy. So that's basically broadly we're walking in the same direction. But this is really about those additional goals that you're going to have. So you mentioned their customer satisfaction, sales enablement, customer experience. But also, I think increasingly under the CMO um, is um, is also engagement of the team, uh, uh, yeah. staff, staff engagement, and also new hire, new, you know, new talent, isn't it? You know, we have these broader things. So there's higher level OKRs, maybe things around revenue and stuff. But we also have these other things, which is that we want to improve employee satisfaction or we want to we need to hire 50 new people yep. or whatever it is in our contribution to that. Yeah. So, so that's cool. So that, that's your third, which is that we need to align with the company goals. And what's the fourth? The fourth mm-hmm. is there w- certainly can be some OKRs that are focused on what I'll just say are marketing only priorities. Right. So as I said, the most, most of what you're trying to set aligns clearly with company goals for the year. Um, but there may be some things that, that, uh, you know, you and the marketing leadership team say, you know, we've got to improve certain efficiencies of our processes. We got to upscale our own talent. Um, you know, they, these may be things that, that the rest of the executive team are interested in. They just don't happen to be something that, that lines up nicely with an overall company Mm -hmm. goal. And so I think it's perfectly relevant to set a small number of objectives uh, that you're going to measure and show how, you know, and this is, you know, part of making marketing uh, both, you know, relevant and uh, accountable is to showing how you're actually advancing the team and its skills, its tech, its, you know, the use of data, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, but I, I also think that these need to ladder up to the major OKRs, right? And actually, you've you've skipped to number five. If I'm looking at the notes, you've missed number four. Did I skip to number four? Oh, I did. <laughs> but we'll go. We'll we'll just do them in different order. Well, that's because actually before I had it as four, <laughs> I flipped well, it around. I think that well, I I completely agree with you that there should be some uh, f- marketing only focused OKRs. But I would suggest that they actually ladder up to some of these higher level OKRs. So you're not so that they're defendable basically like why is it that you're doing yep. that? oh because Absolutely. it's going to help us with revenue or customer awareness or satisfaction whatever it is right so that was your fourth fifth what's your fifth fourth <laughs> <laughs> my fifth fourth yeah, yeah. actually i like sorry this I, drank I, a, I, like, I drank a i drank a fifth I like before it. the show i like, <laughs> I like <laughs> this one as the fifth i think hopefully the listener does as well i, I like this one as a fifth one. yeah 
Yeah. So uh, this is this is a uh, uh, truism. If everything is a priority, nothing's a priority. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. the the basically, it's like you want to keep your OKR list short. Um, mm-hmm. And and um, I mean, I ran into this many, many, many times working with clients, and it's like you know you're trying to help them on their plan for the year, and you say, oh, what are the corporate goals? And they yeah. and they show you a list of two dozen <laughs> uh, goals and objectives, and you're like, yeah. and you're just like, well. What do you or or maybe they're showing their own goals and objectives, yeah. and you're like, well, what am I supposed to do with that? And and um, so, like a particular client I was thinking of as I was writing this up is, you know, we we basically took the corporate objectives and we 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 did the exercise of what can marketing have an impact on, and mm-hmm. so let's select those, and now let's define what that goal is for marketing and how we're going to measure that because. Mm-hmm the client I was working on, they were, they were all you know anxious about how are we going to report on our mm-hmm. relevance to the business. And, um, you know, and, and in that particular case, a lot of it was about developing, you know, content and mm-hmm. collateral and improving sales productivity. And, you know, so it, it didn't fit into the typical, you know, ROI type goals. Um, but Hey, you know, if that's what's relevant for the business um, and, it, and we can make a short list of those things, um, then now we've got a, a foundation of something that we can report on on a regular basis. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I've definitely been there. And I, I think the nice, I mean, the objectives thing, again, objectives are really easy to write. And as a CMO, you'll end up with 25 of them. Um, it's not until you start putting in the key results. Because the other thing about the key results, and you think about how are you going to achieve that objective, is you realize the resources you're going to need to do that, right? So I've made the mistake before where I've gone through as a CMO and gone, yeah, I'm responsible for all of these things. Here's a whole list of OKRs. And you're like, you look at it on a daily basis thinking, shit, <laughs> I really don't have the resources to achieve all these. This is the point I need to negotiate exactly what it is that we're going to achieve and how am I going to prioritize? Because you're absolutely right. Everything is priorities. Nothing is a priority. And, and thing- oftentimes if you see, I, I, and not, sorry to interrupt you, but That's oftentimes right. when you see a long list is that you nobody has put any kind of, uh, thought to what a hierarchy is because yeah. some of the some of the things on that long list are actually sub goals yeah. and objectives for yeah. for something absolutely. at a higher level yeah, absolutely yeah yeah and that's what i was saying before about the uh, the marketing only priorities right is that if you if you create that hierarchy then you know you've then got your five or six like you say key objectives there are other things you need to do like bring people onto the team that would be an objective but what does that achieve for you in terms of your top five yep. objectives i say i think yep. it's really interesting so um so those are the five objectives those are your five effing fundamentals o- okrs are, def- are by definition measurable they must be set within the context of the co- company strategy they must align with the company goals uh then you've switched these around so set one or two okrs that are focused on marketing only priorities that, li- that ladder up to those things and if everything is a priority nothing is a priority so those are your five fundamentals Anything to add to that, Jeff? Is that to- I do have something to add, um, <laughs> which is you have to watch out for the unintended consequences oh, of yeah. ma- of yeah. of. I mean, if you're if you're yeah. rigorously managing to, managing to metrics, yeah. you may inadvertently cause something to break. And I, I I firmly remember when you know we had lead metrics at a company I worked mm. at, and it's like. 
you know, you've, we've produced, you know, hundreds and hundreds of leads for sales. And then you get in the, the argument with sales about, well, who actually yeah, created yeah. that lead? And, 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 and so, um, you know, some of those yeah. things may be things that you can work out in the definition. And obviously your work in aligning with mm-hmm. your, your, your collaborative functions like mm-hmm. sales and product, uh, you know, product management, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, to you know, make sure you get the turf wars out of the way, the definitions out of the way, so that what you're measuring, is, people will will understand mm-hmm. and uh, and not argue with you. Because one thing you, yeah. as you're presenting these back, the one of the things you don't want to get into is the arguments and discussions about how did you measure that and is it really relevant? Is it really accurate? And I don't agree with that. And you know, all well, of it, that needs to be worked out. Yeah. I mean, it's a framework and the thing it, it works in two ways. One of them is that it keeps the team focused. Is this, is this an objective? Is this an OKR? The thing you're working on? No, or stop doing it and get on with the OKR stuff in a way just to help defend and to ring fence marketing effort, right? Cause we're always being distracted, not being asked to do other things. Um, but also, like you say, if if everybody, it's like being coin operated, right? We become OKR operated, and um, that can lead, as you say, to unintended consequence. Things don't get done because we're like, well, that's not my objective for this quarter. I need to get this other thing done. So I think that's it. And the things the leadership team need, needs to be yeah, on top yeah, of managing. Absolutely, absolutely. All right. So uh, the so we we kind of covered the weather because we sort of co- covered the weather in the uh, in the Southlands, as you were saying. <laughs> uh, so our th- our third item on our agenda is what's the song going to be for this week? We're going to go out with "Counting Stars" by One Republic <laughs> in uh, 2013. They, I just I like the message. It's uh, lately I've been losing sleep. Okay, that's the CMO. Yeah, uh, and we'll be counting stars. That's the marketing <laughs> ops team. <laughs> the creating the reports. I love that. Yeah, it's actually, um, yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> one of my daughter's favorite songs. And it was a song I, um, we had, a, we were, we had the karaoke game here and I had, I had to keep singing this one for some reason. So I'm <laughs> very familiar. Nobody wants was, to hear that, but so we'll, I'll play it's, out it was with a premonition. <laughs> I'll play out with the real people doing Counting Stars, One Republic in 2013. And next week, we are going to continue on this topic, aren't we? Because we're going to discuss what to measure Developing. and how, which is kind of the yeah. rabbit hole we stepped over when we started talking about brand a little bit we're gonna, there. So we're going to keep going. going. We're following the rabbits down. Good. And so I'll see So I'll see you in your marketing studio next week. Awesome. Great. <laughs> All right, mate. I'll see you next week. Nice to have you back. Here. I see this life like a swinging vine. Swing my heart across the line. In my face is flashing signs. Seek it out and ye shall find the old. But I'm not that old, young, but I'm not that bold And I don't think the world is sold I'm just doing what we're told I feel something so right I'm doing the wrong thing And I feel something so wrong I'm doing the right thing I could lie, could lie, could lie Everything that kills me Thank you, Jeff. And that was a little snippet of Counting Stars by One Republic from 2013. And if you want to know more about that topic, Jeff has just published an article in our Street Knowledge blog on rockstarcmo.com. 
Right, time to go backstage with my guest. Yas Chavin, founder of Sowell, a tool that makes finding, managing and monetizing influencers simple for consumer brands. Yash is a marketer at heart, but an engineer by training and after starting his career in sales, started a marketing agency that helped many brands and software companies get to their first million in annual revenue. With Sarol, Yash has been exploring the world of influence-driven marketing and has worked with over 5,000 influencers. It was great to meet Yash. Hope you enjoyed this conversation. Welcome, Yash, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I am great, Ian. Lovely to join you from Mumbai, India. In And yes. I hear you're in London, so yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Now, um, you may not realize this, but we in the UK are completely obsessed with the weather. So what's, <laughs> what's the weather like in Mumbai, India uh, in March? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's kind of it's not cold which i don't like i love the cold because i mean it's not yeah. cold here in india as it is like anyway. snowing <laughs> yeah. where you're at but it's mostly yeah. like spring weather which is very pleasant which yeah. i love so it's like yeah. two or three months in the year but now now it's all the, the heat will start so i'm not looking yeah. forward yeah. to it so yeah <laughs> well. thank you for indulging me on my obsession with the weather but <laughs> what is it for the people that haven't met you and i'm fortunate enough to have met you um tell us a little bit about yourself sure so i'm a i'm a marketer i started in sales i turned to marketing because i loved marketing more i eventually Mm -hmm. started an agency um in the agency we did some influencer marketing for a few clients um turns Mm -hmm. out it was tough to do and there was no software that was that did what we did so we figured mm-hmm. we cannot just turn every brand ever into our client, but we can probably reach more, way more people with our software. So we started yeah, building yeah. software. And right now I'm the founder of this influencer marketing platform known as Saral, which helps consumer right. brands find, manage and monetize influencers. So, yeah. Right, right. Well, we'll dig into that in a second. Yeah. And also, I mean... Forming a software company, the margins are much better, aren't they? So it's, much, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a much better kind yes, of business indeed. to be in than services. Yeah, so indeed. that's fantastic. So you discovered a need with your customers and then you created this product called Saral yep. or this company called Saral, which, yep. which is the name of the product as well. Yep. So what is it what is it the what is it you guys do? What what does the software do? Um so the software is able to simplify the entire process of influencer marketing. So influencer marketing mm-hmm. is slightly like a it's an entire program that if you're a CMO listening to this, if you want to start in influencer marketing it's like you have to sit there you have to strategize you have to think about how we do things so Saral just simplifies the whole process for you so for example mm-hmm. you're able to find influencers in Saral you're able right. to send them bulk email outreach in Saral you're able to manage all your relationships kind of like your pipeline of influencers inside Saral you're able mm-hmm. to track your sales the revenue that influencers is generating send payments to influencers so all of this like it's like a, think of it like a CRM plus discovery right. tool plus tracking tool for influencers built into one so yeah right right very cool and so and that's important isn't it that yep. management of, of as, as a crm because yep. these days brands are managing a lot more influencers aren't they because there's a lot of sort of micro influence stuff going on so this is a big this is a big deal for your company your customers isn't it yes it is yeah we're seeing more and more brands move towards influencers now especially with mm-hmm. um traditional or not traditional but like traditional digital marketing um collapsing like facebook ads just doesn't work anymore um people are gravitating towards more of influencer stuff so yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll ask you about that in a bit, in a in a moment about where we're all going wrong and what is it that we need to do. Yep. Um, so what are the sort of clients that you work with? Is it is it mainly B2Z and is it big brands? Yeah, it's mostly so we 
we actually are positioned for small and emerging brands, not big brands. Mm-hmm. So what happened was when I was looking at, so this is back in the agency days when I didn't have the software tool. Um, we were looking mm-hmm. at the market to actually buy a software for, for us to use internally as an agency. But yeah. what happened was all the influencer tools in the market were positioned for the big brands. They were selling to right. Nike, to Athletic Greens, to all these big companies and the software yeah. costs like 50 grand a year. Um, and yeah. we were like, we were a small, agency mostly working with startup you know early stage brands so we Mm -hmm. didn't have the capital neither did our clients have the capital to pay 50k for software so we were like we want to build for the smaller uh, brand so we work with like small to mid-sized um consumer brands so yeah right right so you're kind of democratizing it and bringing the big stuff that the big guys have to the little guys it's it's so funny you use that word because that's the exact word in our mission statement we want to democratize access to influencer marketing for all brands of any right, size. Right. Yep. Right. So um so you're not working with the big brands. So yep. give us an example of the sorts of brands that you do work with. Are we talking about like small niche uh, B2C products, lifestyle products, that kind of stuff? Yeah, so uh, yeah, it can be niche, it can be abroad, but usually it's like because also because of our price point, we are while most of the industry charges annual contracts up front, we just do mm-hmm. month on month, plus we offer a free trial. So they just try it and they because of the nature of our pricing and our business model, we tend to attract a smaller to emerging segment of a customer. In terms of industry, it's pretty much everyone. So it can be an apparel brand, a coffee brand. Uh we've right. we've got some like niche brands also like brands that are meant for like apparel for X category um we yeah. also have some of those so yeah right yep. right and is it does you tend to work with u.s brands is it, are they local you know what what sort of geographies are yep. you tending mostly to work mostly in the u.s there are some mm-hmm. there's a couple of brands in australia that are that are using saral a uh, couple right. in israel that are using us but yeah mostly wow. in the u.s so yeah yeah, yep. no, it's re- really interesting. Yep. And like you say, there are a number of these products around. So your differentiator is is that price point and the fact that you're built for these these big market organizations. Yep. Right? Another awesome. differentiator that we have is just the simplicity. So a lot of these yeah. complex products, they're uh, these expensive products. They're very complex. So it's a funny thing. Mm-hmm. Saral, actually, the name, it actually means it's a direct translation of simple in Sanskrit. So, ah, I was gonna ask so you. that's yeah, yeah, the that's, cool. that's the ethos of the company is that we want to keep influencer marketing simple, especially because mm-hmm. it's already so much of a black box. People don't know yeah. where to begin. So we want to simplify the experience. So that's also our, yeah. our main differentiator is everyone who tries us, especially if they're switching from one of these bigger, like more complex rules, they're like, wow, mm-hmm. this is so simple. So yeah, 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 cool. Yep. All right. Well, I'm passionate about software companies. I'm a B two B CMO myself, yep. so I've I've gone down a rabbit hole there, and I should really come back. <laughs> okay, and get okay. Topic that might be more interesting to the to the listeners, yep. which is you. You you're relatively early in your career. What inspired you to choose marketing, and and also this life as an entrepreneur? Um. So I uh, like I, I think I touched on it briefly before. I started in sales, so I dropped out of my engineering college practically and took a sales <laughs> yeah. job here here in Mumbai at an early stage fintech startup. Again, B two B. So I was in B two B sales. I was the first sales guy at this company. I was the sixth or the seventh employee. So I went in there, and they had no like they had no money coming in, no users. So I was like. 
you know what i'm going to i'm just going to start cold calling people so i start cold yeah. calling and i hit it off in sales and you know this right like it gives you the high when you when you close someone yeah, yeah. and i was yeah. i felt that i was like i was cold i was like i'm going to do sales but then eventually as i grew i was like sales is more one on one but marketing is those same principles of persuasion but applied to the masses mm. with marketing mm. i could have more impact so i switched kind of to a more marketing role in the same uh startup right. and that's how that's how my journey began uh with entrepreneurship yeah. it's it was always and i was always entrepreneurial even as a kid i used to send sell pens in school uh, yeah. i i always sold stuff so yeah. yeah it just came naturally to me the the entrepreneurship yeah i saw on linkedin you set up a you set up a uh, your your own store didn't you at first when you when you <laughs> yes. studying, wasn't it? oh yeah, yeah you you did your research all right yeah. <laughs> okay yeah that was one of my first um companies that uh failed which is fine so that that was interestingly an e-commerce store so yeah. yeah we used to sell all sorts of products on there but that we hardly broke even on overall mm-hmm. but i had to shut that down because i had no money coming in so yeah <laughs> yeah but what a great experience i mean yep. you were such a young young man at the yep. time right and yep. and you're able to do that i think yep. that's fantastic <laughs> yeah. so um so that's your that's what's inspired you yep. in your life as a career as an entrepreneur and just get back to the influencer topic yep. why why do you think influence is is such a great marketing strategy right now i mean it's had it's it's had its detractors recently hasn't yep. it? it it went through a sort of period i guess the year before last or before that where yep. it was so hot and then yeah. so, so it went through that sort of trough of trough of delusion disillusionment mm. where yeah. people were were down in it is, is it back and why do you think it's so great um i think that when you do influencers in the right way it always crushes um yeah. sometimes it has its own setbacks because um brands don't do it the right way or they work with the wrong kind of influencer um and so yeah. i i can give you an example so um there's this brand called beyond meat in the us they make like vegan yes. vegan meat protein kind yeah. of a thing. So they yeah. hired Kim Kardashian as their ambassador and they did an mm-hmm. ad with her and she's like shown kind of semi eating the the burger and mm-hmm. she doesn't actually eat it it's visible but they published the oh, ad yeah. and the comments on YouTube just like went wild so they're yeah, like yeah, she's totally yeah. not into it why is she your ambassador <laughs> blah, blah, blah. and then the brand got lots of negative press because of it so when you do yeah. it badly it doesn't work but on the other hand if beyond meat were to work with some vegan micro influencer or vegan nutritionist mm. and have them promote the product that would have hit off very well as compared yeah, to using yeah. some famous celebrity so it's always like it's always a good you know you have to as a brand as a as a marketing yeah. leader you have to make sure that you're working with the right kinds of influencers and to answer your main question as to why influencer marketing i always like to mm-hmm. go back to the fundamentals right so what is before digital marketing before any of like advertising all of it exists you go back let's say a thousand years ago the only way mm-hmm. that an idea or a product spread was through word of mouth there is no other mm-hmm. way that you could communicate right so if people talk about your product it grew and if it was really good you became a big like entrepreneur mm-hmm. back back in the day right yeah, yeah. so now yeah. influencers are just a way to put word of mouth the purest marketing mm-hmm. channel ever on steroids it's instead of one person talking to five of their friends about it it's one person talking to 50000 of their fans about it so mm-hmm. it's just word of mouth at scale and i think that's why it's like fundamentally it's a very strong core marketing channel to have in your stack of channels yeah. so yeah i love i love your story and i love i love and also the 
this idea as well. I mean, we marketers just ruin everything, right? So if you give us, <laughs> yes. if you give us a new toy to play with, we'll break it. Yeah, right? yeah. So it's <laughs> like that's the period that influencer marketing <laughs> went through. But you yep. mentioned there about micro-influencers and also like having 50,000 fans. Well, when you think about whether somebody's a, a, a micro-influencer or influencer, how, what, what, what size audience would you say somebody needs to be if they're an influencer? Let's put it that way. Um, I, I don't like to think about it in terms of size at all. I think, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's one of the mistakes that people make is to think about it in yeah. terms of size. Um, yeah. if they have the right audience and of course, like you need some semblance of reach, right? So maybe a thousand, two thousand, three, you can have a minimum limit, but I don't like to categorize them. And if you have, if you have like less than a thousand, you're not an influencer because yeah. maybe they have great connections with like 900 people in their audience and they all listen to everything that this person says. They're yeah. a great influencers. Why? They don't have the audience, but they yeah. have the influence. And that's right. the root word of influencer, right? Influencer. So yeah. if they have the influence, then they are good. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. J- Jason Falls, who wrote Winfluence, who is yes. actually part of the Martin Podcast Network, yep. and you probably know him. He's in your space, yep. and yep. Um, he, he's been on. He's been on my show before, and he always talks about. Him- he talks about influence, influence. marketing yep. and exactly. not influencer marketing, which <laughs> it sounds on the money of exactly what you're saying there, right? Yeah, yep, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I, I've I've spoken to Jason. He helped me uh, back uh, in the day when I was building Saral. So yeah, I know him very well. Yeah. I'll say hello to him when yep. I speak to him yep. next. Yeah, like I say, he's um, we're part of the he's marketing podcast yep. network, and and Jason's Jason's the driver behind that. So that's cool. Awesome. And so um, so you're not worried about size of audience with the influencers, nope. but how is it? One of the things I'm interested in here is, is how do you tell that somebody is going to be a good influencer? So you're saying you could have a small audience, but be really engaged. Is that the secret of what you provide your customers? You can say, yes, this person is has a small audience, but they're incredibly engaged. Correct. Yes. So yeah, yeah. You, you, there are certain metrics, tactically speaking, that you can look at. Um, yeah. So there's something known as an engagement rate. So what percentage of their audience is engaging with their content? Mm-hmm. Um, another thing beyond metrics, I think influencers are really like a more human channel. So you mm-hmm. can't like you can't look at too much data. Otherwise, I think data yeah. data lies. So yeah. I think the best way to look at vet an influencer is to just look at their comments. So mm. go to their posts and see what people are saying in the comments. Are they commenting like good stuff? Yeah. Are they adding to the conversation? Is the influencer yeah. replying back and re-engaging with people who are engaging with them? Um, that yeah. shows like a true audience connect. And it shows that right. the influencer cares about their audience and that the audience cares about what the influencer is saying. Versus on the other hand, if the comments are something like, this is great or heart emoji <laughs> yeah. or something yeah, like that yeah. it's just yeah. something hollow um yeah. then you you might you might want to reconsider working with them so yeah yeah, yeah. and, and yeah. is that part of the i mean we keep going back to what you guys do and your products and stuff but is that part yeah. of what you do you have that that human element where you're actually you actually check all of these influencers to make sure they're right for a client not you don't just let the machine do the work then Correct. Yes. So yeah, yeah. we have, we of course have the metrics because that's also mm, important, absolutely. but we have the human element. So we have found out ways to show if an influencer's, we analyze the comments, we make sure that they're good or bad and we show that in the, in the app. So, right. yeah. Yep. Right. And is it, and you approach the influencers, they don't come register with you. Is that the way that your model works? Correct. So Saral is not a marketplace. What happens, uh-huh. there are some marketplaces in the yeah, yeah. Uh, in our space where influencers register with a marketplace and then the brands yeah. come and then they are kind of like a middleman. Uh, yeah. We don't do that because I think I've worked with marketplaces before. And what yeah. happens is that there's a limited number of influencers that marketplaces can attract. 
maybe a mm. hundred thousand influencers in total, right? But as mm. you get more and more brands, those brands mm. are exposed to the same influencers all the time. So the mm. feeds get saturated. So the mm. influencers are constantly posting about brand after brand after brand and their audience just stops caring after a point. So right. what we do and how we are different is we just have our integrations with Instagram, TikTok, Facebook and their APIs. Right. And we're able to pull in any influencer that has a sizable amount of following, which is like slightly above 1K, Um, on any of these platforms so you can just search for your core keyword let's say for example you're a coffee brand you can search for like show me influencers posting about coffee in the Mm. u.s between 10k and 25k followers and we're able to pull that information so we don't gate it by like us having to get influencers first right so does that mean that sometimes you're approaching first-time influencers then that they you know yes. they're not ready they haven't put their hand up said i'm an influencer they're just you've yep. identified them as being Correct. influential Correct. so therefore yeah yes Correct. Yeah, that must yep. be an and interesting conversation when somebody yep. has a new <laughs> yeah i'm sure we facilitate some first time influencer deals because yeah, yeah. a lot of brands are now moving towards the nano influencer strategy yeah so like yeah. super small we've got we've had we've had brands work with like influencers with 780 followers or something like wow. that and they get they get a couple of sales but they're always good to have in your in your roster yeah. of influencers as yeah, a brand yeah. so yeah i'm sure we facilitated some of those yeah. first time deals so I, yeah I, I need to learn that language so now it's nano influencers and micro influencers <laughs> and influencers yeah. right so yeah, there's nano micro mega and then there's celebrity Right, right, yep. right. And have you have you done any? I mean, have you done work with the celebrities and stuff? Or you're you're just definitely in that sort of nano micro influencer level. Yeah, so we do have celebrities in our database simply mm-hmm. because we have those connections mm-hmm. with the social media platforms. Yeah. Um, but most of the brands that we work with are under the like they usually work yeah. with people with some. They don't usually go above like five hundred thousand of an audience right. celebs are like millions of followers yes, and yeah, yeah, yeah. brands need to yeah. have like $50,000 budgets to work yeah. with them. So we're right. not attracting that kind of a brand yet. Right. Uh, so yeah, but if yeah. The, if those brands are listing and they want to start using Sarah <laughs> to get celebrities, we're here. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very opportunistic. I like that. All right. So I'm going to, I'm just um, aware of the time. So I'm going to, um, I know, hang on. Where, one other question I did want to ask yep. you actually. Um, I was yep. going to get to our final question. Was I'm as I as I said, I'm a B two B guy, right? So, and a lot of our audience are B two B folks. Yep. Do you think these strategies of influence and influencer marketing? Do you think they can be applied to B two B? And and how do you think that would work? Absolutely. So we are actually mm. seeing. I know we said we sell to consumer brands, but there are a couple mm. of B two B and prosumer uh, startups that are using Seral to get influencers. So it depends on the brand. But if you're right. say strictly like a B two B software company, um, yeah. you can still do influence marketing. Maybe not mm-hmm. influencer, but mm. your source. Then your influencers just change, right? Then they become, yeah. let's say, like sales leaders on LinkedIn or thought yeah, leaders yeah. on Twitter or bloggers, yeah, yeah. and these are your influencers, right? Yeah. Versus on social media, there's social media creators who are your influencers. There's Mm. some even B2B companies are doing TikTok as a marketing Mm. channel. Let's say like there's a a company that uses us. They're selling software to e-commerce founders, similar to our niche. Um, So what they're doing is because e-com founders are following these TikTok people for their own consumer startups. This brand's working with the TikTokers and getting their software product out there and they're getting sales. So yeah, you can, if you, if you simply know who your audience is listening to, Mm -hmm. then you can do influencer marketing. So you just tap into those channels. Yeah. Yeah. It's that whole human to human thing, isn't it? You don't stop being a B2B person just because you're on TikTok in the evening, right? Yeah. 
yeah. the same person. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's fascinating. Yeah. And I've also noticed on LinkedIn, it's it's doing a better job of identifying who talks about what, right? So on all Correct. of our profiles, it now says this person talks about podcasting or this person talks about marketing. Correct. So it must help you guys, I would have thought. Yep. All right, yep. I'm going to wind up to our final question. <laughs> uh, we have a regular feature, the Rockstar CMO Swimming Pool, our port to marketing hell, where we throw all the bullshit snake on overhyped trends that plague this industry we love. What would you chuck in there? Um, I think the... I think for the last five years, um, there's this growth at all costs model of marketing that, ah. that, that happened, right? So lots of like bull run, VC money start pouring in, especially in the mm. startup world. Everyone, mm. cause I heard, I read this statistic, I think like 40% of all investor money goes to Facebook and Google directly. Yes. So I think too yes. many people started running paid media campaigns and just the like face, the Facebook pixel made a lot of companies very rich. So. Yes. I think uh, with the, with the downfall of that stuff, we we will right. see a resurgence of true creativity in marketing and actual understanding of your customers. And I think that yeah. that was like that's one like BS that I want to call out is that oh, people people got good at paid media and thought they were marketers, but I think now we'll see the the cream rise to the top. I love that, mate. Yep. Uh, you're welcome back anytime. I love that idea that digital <laughs> marketers thought they were that marketers thought they were good at marketing because they could do um, PPC, yep. and it, and yeah. <laughs> you're missing all the creativity and the brand and all that kind of yep. stuff. That's yep. great. Thank you very much, yes, for your time. When people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you, mate? Um, best places are LinkedIn and Twitter. Mm-hmm. So yep. just search for my name on Twitter. I'm YC the Man. So find me there <laughs> and say say Ian sent you. So yeah. <laughs> Splendid. Yeah. Well, I'll include all your awesome. links in the show notes, of course. Sure. And uh, very nice to speak to you. And I look forward to staying in touch with you. Have a great day, mate. You too, Ian. Lovely chatting. Cheers. Thank you, Yash. Splendid to hear from a young entrepreneur. And influencer marketing is a hot topic right now. Worth taking a look at what he's doing with Sarah. I will, of course, include all of Yash's links in the show notes. Right, it's that time of the week as we wind down in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and join my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, chief troublemaker at the content advisory for a cocktail and a marketing thought. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend. It's nice to see you in the bar. Um, (laughs) You know, it, it is... It has been one of those weeks where I think we've all felt a bit on the hamster wheel, right? I mean, there's, there's, <laughs> it's, it's like, it's a very interesting thing, I think, because you, I don't know if you experience this, but I certainly do, where it is, it, right now we seem to be in this sort of repeating environment, atmosphere. I don't know what the right word is, but it's this repeating mm-hmm. atmosphere of, okay, what's, what's the disaster of the week? Right. You know, (laughs) it's going to make us not make a big decision about doing something and just feel like we have more work to do. You know, it's like, oh, which bank failed this week? Oh, what climate (laughs) is going to collapse next week? Oh, who's going to jail this week? Oh, who's getting laid off this week? Oh, where's the economy this week? Oh, where are interest rates? It's, you know, every week seems like there's some new catastrophe that we have to (laughs) put all of our attention around instead of thinking about, the cool, interesting, big things that we want to do because we're so mm. busy that can't get through our to-do lists. Anyway, mm. if I sounds like I'm ranting, I am a little bit, but you know, no, you, 
That's what you come here for. That's what the bar is for, my friend. That's what the bar is for is exactly right. <laughs> Although I'm supposed to be the bartender here. I'm supposed to be the one <laughs> offering some sage advice here. You know, what are you drinking, buddy? Um, I, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what we're drinking tonight mm-hmm. um, with that idea. Uh, I'm calling it a Waxaca Old Fashioned. And uh, Waxaca of the Mexican uh, city, Waxaca. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a basically a take on an old fashioned, although... Uh, as you might expect, coming from Mexico, it is tequila uh, mm-hmm. instead of whiskey. Uh, and it's a wonderful drink. I didn't invent it. This is actually invented um, in uh, in New York, of all places. But basically, it's you take uh, it's a typical sort of old fashioned idea yeah. where instead of whiskey, you use one and a half ounces of your favorite reposado. Again, using reposado, not anejo for your mixed drinks because... That's what you want in there, <laughs> reposado. Maybe a little if you're if you're a fan, a half ounce of mezcal. I'm not a huge fan of mezcal, generally uh-huh. speaking, but a little bit of a drip here can give you some smokiness that you really want. That'll make it a little whiskey like. Then, uh, if you want a little bit of, of course, old fashioned of Angostura mm-hmm. bitters, uh, and then an orange peel, as you might have in a classic old fashioned. You combine all of that into a cocktail shaker, shake it up. Pour it over a rocks glass filled with ice, and you have yourself a waxaka, old fashioned, nice. basically an old fashioned with tequila. Nice. That sounds delicious, especially with the smokiness. I can't like sound that. And um, but is it? It's not normal to. I mean, I love a. I love an old fashioned. I do too. Standable. I mean, totally. In. I mean, I did two things. One, start drinking old fashions, and the other one, working can having work having watched Mad Men. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> So and um, yes, uh, and uh, but you don't usually shake an old fashioned. Do you? you usually just chuck it in over and then then muddle. Well, it, it's just because there's enough there's enough ingredients here that you may want to uh, put it into a, sh- a instead of shaker. stirring it in your glass, you can shake it in a in a cocktail shaker and then. Well, I'm I'm going to attempt to make that very drink with only the ingredients on my desktop bar, and so I am going to go for what we've already agreed is the most English of tequilas, the lightest. Mm, indeed. And most English tequilas, which will be some Hedrix gin, and then um, bitters and orange peel. Now then, I think when we've come to talk about oranges, we have uh, definitely decided that the cucumber is the most English of oranges. So I'm going to put some cucumber tonic water into here. Let's see. I'm doing it over ice. I'm not going to shake it up because, honestly, the chaps at Fever Tree who don't sponsor this show would not like me to put their tonic water into a shaker. Mm. Mm. This is as delicious as I thought it was going to be. That's really nice. Thank you, Robert. I shall be drinking these every week. And what are we calling that? You will, yeah. (laughs) What are we going to call that? Uh, We're going to call that the Waxaca Old Fashioned. It is a delicious, basically a Mexican old fashioned because we're using tequila instead of whiskey. I love it. I love it. All right. And where are you going to take us away to drink very fine drinks? Well, I think we have to go to Mexico, don't we? Yeah. I mean, it is, it is. you know, we have to get ourselves to a beach in Mexico yeah. uh, and sit on the beach and have a few of these um, yes. and uh, probably get some food as well. There are these <laughs> wonderful things that they do. Now, this is on the other side of Mexico uh, where uh-huh. I live, but um, uh, there are these along the coast, um, you can get... They, Depending on what you want to call them, they're sometimes called trash can barbecues or barrel barbecues or beach mm-hmm. barbecues. So what mm-hmm. they do is that they're street vendors 
and they will make uh, usually shrimp or fish tacos, but they cook them over these giant barrels um, that they do barbecues right there on the beach with. And they're amazing, as you might expect. And so we're probably sitting on the beach eating a few shrimp tacos that have been barbecued and then having a few of of these bad boys because they're easy enough that we could just bring it all in our little pack and sit on the beach and drink and eat. I love it. What I like is the juxtaposition of some of a drink that sounds pretty fancy to me. I always think of an old-fashioned, in nice high-end New York bar, and uh, we're just sitting on the beach eating street tacos. Love that. And, yeah. and by the way, I think we should just take the uh, the virtual bar to Mexico every week because um, we always seem to drink and eat well whenever we're there. <laughs> That's true. That is absolutely true. We do eat well. In, uh, in Mexico. That's one of my favorite places on the planet, for sure, to uh, eat. Yeah. I mean, it is my favorite food of all time. So Yeah, yeah. Well, we were talking about Mexican food, wasn't it, last week or the week before? And the hey, Mo, I'm sure I've we missed. talk about it a lot. <laughs> yeah, the thing I've missed since we moved back from the U.S. Anyway, so uh, we are having the finest of times. And I feel like just ending it there and we'll just carry on talking about the food and the drink. But unfortunately, or fortunately, the conversation usually turns to marketing when you and me get together. Um, what are we talking about this week? Well, we're going to talk about uh, process, and that is a super sexy topic, I know. Um, <laughs> Bring me another one of these drinks, fella. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and, it's, and, it's, and it's the value of unremarkable uh, processes, and, and I'll explain a bit what I mean by that. But So it starts with, so I, I have to, I mean, you know I'm a fan of the British chat shows, but I assume you yes. are as well. yes. Um, and so, do you do you watch the Would I Lie to You? Yes, I am familiar okay. with Would I Lie to You. Yes, <laughs> yes. So one of my it's one of my favorites uh, is the Would I Lie to You, and one of my favorites on the Would I Lie to You is uh, is David Mitchell. I mean, I mm-hmm. I, I find David Mitchell <laughs> so funny, yeah. and he was on Would I Lie to You, and and one of the things that he said, and I've just I, I just love this. In fact, I've I've got it written down. It's one of my favorite quotes, and it makes for a hilarious. Uh, episode was his truth that of course everybody tries to pepper him and find out if it's a truth or a lie yeah Um, he said one of the codes that i live my life by is that my appearance should be in no way noteworthy but again not so unnoteworthy to be in itself noteworthy (laughs) (laughs) it's the most british of humor it's so david mitchell i love it so very much and basically, and somebody asks him and says, wait a minute, what would be an example of so unnoteworthy to be in itself noteworthy? And he said, somebody wearing a gray tie. <laughs> in other words, you're purposely wearing a gray tie because it's so colorless, so unnoteworthy, <laughs> the person themselves become noteworthy because of it. And that to me is such a perfect metaphor for process um, yeah. about what, you know, what we should be doing with it. Now, here's the thing. The, the more the more present, I guess I should say, reason that I wanted to talk about this and it made me think about this was somebody sent me an article um, that was written in Inc., um, Inc. magazine, and it was this old interview with Steve Jobs. And in it, Steve Jobs was you know, complaining or bragging, one of the two. Steve was known to do a lot of both. Um, <laughs> and And basically, he was talking about the difference between what he called content people and process people. Mm-hmm. And he said content people are, and by content, he meant contents of a product, right? He didn't mean, but of course it applies to the content we think of, but um, in terms of the contents of a product, well, the content is 
and ultimately a product that we do. So mm-hmm. he was saying basically the people that he found valuable um, were content people who focus purely on the content as an ability to think outside the box and creative and all that stuff and process people are sort of jettisonable, right? They're, you can you can jettison them. And he uses the example of when he was thinking about the mouse. Mm-hmm. And he said, basically, he went to his engineering team, which he sort of derides as old Hewlett Packard people. And he said that engineering team told him that the mouse was going to take years to develop and each one would cost like 300 bucks. Mm-hmm. So he went outside because he got, as he put it, I got frustrated with that and went outside and hired a design firm who built him one in 90 days and it cost $15 to make. And his point was basically that process people can't get out of their own way and they get confused and think mm-hmm. that content is process. And ultimately, you should be much more aware of your quote unquote hyper performers who are focused on content because even though they're a pain in the butt to manage, he said, you know, <laughs> they're the ones who truly add value to your business. And I just disagree with that. I disagree with all of that. <laughs> um, and and so I felt like I needed to come to the defense of process people because mm-hmm. you have to have both. You, In other words, it, it, there's no way for anyone to recognize that anything remarkable exists unless there's a standardized process for which to compare it to. In other words, Steve Jobs can't recognize the fact that doing a, a mouse in 30 days and costing $15 is so much more remarkable. It only He can only recognize that because his engineers, his process people, told him that the, the mm. current standard is three years and 300 bucks. Yeah. And so the way I think that conversation, by the way, went really went down is he goes to his engineers, his process people, and they say, hey, this is what it currently takes but we can investigate in doing it faster. And he gets frustrated or impatient or basically yeah, yeah. In, in, emblazons the story with his own you know, greatness yeah. and goes out and talks about how he innovated around all of that. The whole yeah. point is, is that I don't think s- standards or process people are better or worse than you need both yeah. in order. And, and it especially applies when we're thinking about content because we've all experienced the lack of process in any company when it comes to content that we have to create. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you've got some subject matter experts or you've got some superstars who are creative and they're amazing at creating content or they say they're amazing at creating mm-hmm. content. We don't know as an institution whether they're good at it or not because there's no standard to compare it to. You know, and in other words, with no standard of what good or great content looks like, Everybody's argument, you know, when PR comes out with their amazing thing, brand comes out with their amazing thing, product marketing comes out with their amazing thing, and they all think it's amazing. Well, they're all right. They're all, you know, yeah. they're, no one's wrong. Like anybody who says it sucks is wrong. But if they say it sucks, it's also not wrong either because there's no standard to compare it to. Yeah. And so if you create a process, a standard process for how things get created, managed, measured, activated, promoted, well, now we can start to recognize when we can do a piece of content faster or we can do a piece of content that's more remarkable or we can use those subject matter experts. And the key, and this is where I sort of come all the way back around to my defensive process people, is yeah. yes, I believe process can be content. In other words, if you treat process with the same kind of care, innovation, creativity that you do a product, it takes all of those things. In other words... Yeah. The process itself becomes an innovative way of doing things. 
And that enables you to not only recognize great content, but it also gives you the ability to innovate on it and improve on it. So you need both. And so I think process people are just as maybe as important as or even a little bit more than sort of your <laughs> people. So anyway, that that's what's on my yeah. mind. This I I, lo I love you getting that off your mind, off your chest, as it were. <clears throat> and also, by the way, on would I lie to you? Um, if you've ever seen an episode where David Mitchell's on with his wife, that they, them two are just so funny because his wife is um, completely different to him. <laughs> it's just yeah. anyway. So that's the David Mitchell thing. Um, but also on the Steve Jobs thing. I mean, there is no way that that agency were going to turn around something that fast to that brief without them having a process, right? There's no way they just sat there and randomly well, came out with this mouse. And well, and here's the other thing, right? Yeah. Because so so even on that score, think about yeah. that for a second, right? I can tell you the very first thing that happened when the design agency builds one mouse that costs mm -hmm. 30 days and $15 to make is yeah. they go, great, how do we standardize a process so we can make millions of these, right? Yes. How can we, you know, you're yeah, going to yeah. have to standardize and create a process to make millions yeah. of these, which yeah. then, by the way, gives them the ability to go, you know what? If we just improve this process, we can actually make a mouse in 15 days and cost $5 to make. Yeah. And so it's, <laughs> it, it is the creation of the process that gives you the ability to improve upon it either yeah. incrementally or exponentially, depending on your, your thing. And yeah. so, yeah, it's real nice that a design agency has no constraints of process to say, Oh, can you invent some weird new thing for me in 30 days? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I can do one, but how do you do a million? And how do you do them across the world? And how do you make them meet standards for electrical capacity yeah. and all the things yeah. that have to be done legally? And you create a process for that. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's one of the things that the wonderful things that Apple has managed to do, isn't it? Is create these lovely, unique products, but do it at scale. So, I mean, they have absolutely balanced the two things you're saying, isn't it? But the other thing, I was just looking at mouse. <laughs> I thought, I thought, are they the bastards that came up with the fact you can't use it while it's charging? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's got, yeah, that's it's got exactly the right. Charge port on the bottom. <laughs> so, so whatever, what uh, um, Steve Jobs was crowing about about his his design for his mouse, it's flawed. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I amused myself. Well, that was that's good. So, um, so when people are um, are looking for um, well processed but creative content on the interwebs, where are they going to find that, Robert? Well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you are going to find it um, everywhere. Um, but if you want to find it on my own little place on the web, you'll, yeah. we will find it on contentadvisory.net. This is where I'm publishing these days. That's splendid. And uh, when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? LinkedIn and Twitter. I'm back on Twitter. So, um, Goody! Yeah, so yes. I'd love to connect with everybody on Twitter. I'm, uh, it's yeah. easy to find me. I'm Robert underscore Rose. But um, then on LinkedIn, I'm still doubling down on my LinkedIn presence and doing all of that fun stuff. So it's all yeah. there. Yeah, splendid. So LinkedIn and Twitter, I shall, of course, include those links in the show notes. But more importantly to me, my friend, are we going to be meeting in the bar next week? Of course we will. I look forward to it, mate. I'll see you there.
Thank you, Robert. A man who makes even process sound interesting. So that's a wrap on episode 159 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. Thanks to Jeff, Yash and Robert for sharing their insight and to you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. Please let us know what you think. You can contact us through the website, rockstarcmo.com. Catch us on the socials. We are Rockstar CMO on LinkedIn or Twitter or leave a rating or review in your favourite podcast app. We've been getting a few of those lately. I really appreciate them. Or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, aside from my regulars, Jeff and Robert, I'll be chatting with Brittany Murphy, Marketing Director at One Thing Marketing. Until then, have a great week and I hope you again join us next week on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.